everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Cannabis Curious Podcast. This time I sit down with Chad of DM Lift. DM Lift is a vaping accessories company based here in Michigan with a factory in China and an international distribution network. Chad helps to break down the current vaping crisis and bans that are happening across the United States. He provides some great tips on how consumers and patients alike can be smart when vaping. Chad is a very interesting guy with a lot of great experience in cannabis. I know you will learn a lot from him in this podcast. I'm excited for you guys to hear what he has to say. Without further ado, here is DM Lift and Chad. Thanks. DM Lift, first and foremost, is an international sales and manufacturing facility that specializes in vaping hardware and accessories and also we can do custom packaging we actually own the factory overseas in china because it's a lot cheaper over there obviously um most people will say they own it but we actually do the owner actually has an office here um and we make all of the hardware all your basic vape cartridges pods batteries any of those types of things syringes um, we use high quality medical grade parts so high quality silicon like seals, Pyrex like glass for shatter resistant, different types of ceramic cell technology for when things are, you know, when you're actually burning the oil. Um, that's kind of who we are. Uh, we international company. I am the sales manager covering all of pretty much everything from this office. So I deal with my sales team, everything here in the United States with a heavy focus here in, the, in North America. And we're starting to branch out into other countries, but we do have sales teams over in China that deal with our Russian counterparts and things of that nature. Um, and we just kind of bang it out and offer people the best product possible. We do about like 50 to 100 million a year. I did see that. I can't give you specifics on customers' names no, for the confidentiality. But we're all over the place. So, uh, for example, uh, each salesperson probably deals with about, uh, I don't know, 100 to 150 potential or real clients on a daily, weekly basis that we're dealing with. A little bit hard, though, because you got to realize in this industry how people advertise, right? So if you have a processing company, it's kind of hard to advertise in certain ways because of what it's still an illegal drug. Mm-hmm. So we do a lot of Facebook and Instagram, stuff like that for potential new clients. We go to all the expos and trade shows all over the world and network that way, which is interesting. Um, but it gets difficult. It gets difficult it gets because difficult. of the lack of advertising, like the social media issues with keeping accounts. and. So, yeah. Um, and when you look at it as, especially in like regulated states, right? So... If you go to Michigan and you say, who is a processor that has cartridges, right? And you're looking at Lars' database of all the processor licenses. Well, it's not going to say that ABC123, who does the best cartridges available, is here and this, that, or the other. It's, lo- it's actually named by whoever holds the LLC corporation, right? right. That LLC corporation might hold multiple brands, like right. Choice Labs, for example. They have like five different companies under their umbrella. Yeah, yeah. And the address tied to them is not where the actual business is at all. Yeah. So, and yeah, that, it's very limited information. And that gets even worse now because there are giant outside investors. Um, yeah. 
Rosebud, Grassroots, Pharmaco. Yeah. Now they have brands in multi-states, and they bring some of those brands from other places into here under their license for this state and so on and so forth, and it gets really convoluted. So finding customer base is a little weird sometimes. You have to get creative. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine. It's probably a lot of different research. And like you're saying, the conferences have to probably help significantly. I don't know. Even that is, sometimes when I go to conferences, I'm not sure about the people that are there, even for myself. Like, I'll go as cannabis curious, and I'm like, yeah. eh. It, you meet you meet a, a certain percentage that are definitely like involved. Well, there's business in the to consumer and there's business to business, mm-hmm. right? And then there's people that are just curious. There's so many people that are just around and are curious. But that's what's cool about the industry. It is. Is like this industry is like no other in the form of most people. They need a job. They can go work at McDonald's. They can go work at a gas station. They can get a job being an accountant. Whatever it is, minimal training. They can do a lot of things. But in this particular industry, people are incredibly passionate about it. So most people that work in it are like, it's their life. Yes. And you don't see that with a lot of things. So sometimes that's a blessing when you go to these conventions because you get to meet really interesting people that are really excited about it or want to know more. And then sometimes you get your stereotypical people who are, you know, like, whoa, that's 1960 all over again, you know? So... Finding that balance sometimes is interesting and difficult, but, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. Yeah, yeah. People are very passionate in this industry. There's a lot of energy, so I think it's exciting. That there is. Why is DMLIF based in Michigan? Well, the owner, uh, he actually had a family here. So okay. got married, had a kid. Um, it just seemed like a logical place, right, to do that. Um, Seems fair especially with the U.S. being an emerging market and stuff, might as well do it in your own backyard. So that's kind of why I picked Michigan. Yeah. California, you know, is kind of full, and we have partnerships and counterparts and with other manufacturers, because it's a very small world, obviously, that have locations in California. Okay. Gotcha. iCrusher, for example. Um, the owner of iCrusher and our owner are really good friends and work really well together and they branched off and are doing their two separate things yeah so you can like each cover different kind of footprints that's the idea different markets okay i mean that makes sense and michigan is like the up and coming right i mean it's the the i guess there's some hype around michigan having medicinal and recreational and like setting the footprint in the midwest you look skeptical though no no i don't i i agree uh but i think it's only thought that way because it's still early on like Oklahoma just started to accept medical and they're having a huge upswing of caregivers and patient cards being granted there. I've um, been reading about that. That can really rival Michigan's in a lot of ways. So I think as you see more states coming on, you're going to start to see the main players change a little bit. Um, if it ever did go full on throughout the United States where you could actually transport from state to state and stuff like that on a federal level, um, Michigan logically makes the most sense because of the import and exporting that we have with the, like the rivers and the lakes and all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. We're making a main hub for that, but, mm-hmm. you know, berries. Makes sense. So how did you find DM Lift or did DM Lift find you? Well, I've known the owner since I got into the industry because when I started a processing company with my former employees, um, we were looking for different types of carts. We had really bad luck with a lot of the ones from overseas 
uh, high defect rates, things of that nature. Found DM lifters in our own backyard, and we're like, ah, let's go talk to him, see if he knows what he's talking about. Hit it off, um, became a customer of theirs, became good friends with them over time, and then when I stopped working with them, he's like, I need someone who knows the industry to come help my sales team because my sales team doesn't know the industry. So it helps to know a little bit about what's going into the product. Well, yeah, and if you you uh, started a processing a processing facility mm-hmm. then, so mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, you definitely have deep industry knowledge. And say a little more about that. Uh, That's quite impressive. No, 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 no. Um, I was the operations manager, so I was the chief operating officer. Um, That's the get shit I, done. I, I, yeah, I was the get the shit done stuff. Um, the design guy came up with the packaging ideas and stuff like that. Uh, some new ideas overall for products, but I didn't uh, actually do the processing. I just know about the process. I could if I have to, but it's not my daily thing, right? So I know a little bit about this, a little bit about that. Well, if you don't mind me asking, how did you get plugged into that opportunity? <laughs> um, so before I got into this industry, uh, I was a district manager for CVS Pharmacy. And I was looking for a career change. I'm like, oh, why not? My mom and dad were potheads my entire <laughs> life. Uh, I didn't start smoking, actually, until I was like 30. Really? Yeah, so I've been doing it for a few years. Uh, my wife got me into it, oddly enough. <laughs> uh, and I was tired of taking her to really bad neighborhoods to buy weed when we first started dating. So I got the job. I'm like, oh, cool. We never have to buy weed from the street again. <laughs> awesome. And then I just kind of... Got good at it. Yeah. Very interesting industry. Yeah, yeah. When you've uh, you've been in it for a while and in different ways too. Oh yeah. Um, so you've been around. You've seen kind of the evolution. I got to see kind of when it was first kind of starting. Uh, I got to do a lot of political stuff. I got to talk to the city councils in different areas and get them to vote. You know, to be green zone for a few people in a few cities, which is kind of cool. Always That's looks good. Very on, cool. Looks good on like the black market resume. That's you know? very cool. That is not easy, and it's one of the tougher known, like tougher unknown parts. I feel like about actually getting a license, um, and being part of the legal market is the zoning piece. The zoning piece is very hard uh, because there's very limited actual locations from like green zones. Exactly. Um, the people will say, "Oh, anywhere here is good." Yeah, but you got to think. Okay, now you have to look at transportation. To and from, because if you're out in the middle of nowhere, that's going to cost a lot more. Mm-hmm. And if you're in by a mean city hub, then you have to look at schools, churches, everything that's around mm-hmm. it. If you're, you know, three phase electric or not, there's mm-hmm. there so many factors that no one really thinks about when they want to get into it that are really important. Yes, yes, and I feel like there's probably a lot of uh, education you have to do with local governments when you're going through that process with the boards and the <laughs> yeah. townships there. Yeah, because um, the state them. puts so much on. It's just, they're basically like, you write the zoning and you figure out how many licenses you want, and you tell us. It, it's yeah, difficult. Yeah, it's very difficult. Um, for me, it was kind of easy because in a lot of those cases, I either knew people on the city because I was running provisioning area centers in those cities, um, so I could easily just be like, "Hey, we're gonna be putting our, you know." hat out here and wanting to do this what are your thoughts you know and you can kind of network that way uh when i was doing it for friends uh who wanted someone to come talk to the city council and stuff like that because they're on the fence that then it was really easy because it, the conversation always starts as i don't care what you do because i don't have a, a horse in this race 
You know, if, you, if you're in it, cool. I'll tell you all the good things about it. And I'll tell you all the bad things about it. I'm an open book. You decide what you want to do. I'm here just to answer questions realistically for you. Yeah. You know, so that, that's a lot easier. Heck yeah. Yeah, it yeah. is a lot easier than being like the person who has the money, who's on the line, who's, I really want my <laughs> yeah. my grow facility here and I will and I will spend this much money or do whatever, right? They, oh, there's yeah. a skepticism towards that in some of the towns. And then I think some of it's also... Uh, it, it looks shiny and nice to have all that money kind of come in or or you think it's going to come in. It's an illusion. It's an illusion. People that say it's for the tax, you know, oh, we're going to get more taxes from the government because we're going to allow provisionary centers to grow and stuff. Yes, you will get money. That's awesome. That's great. Mm-hmm. But when you look at how it's written and you break it down, some places might only get like $60,000 a year, which... Is great if you're a small town. You can mm-hmm. use that. It's like two new cop cars. But you have to be realistic about that. And you mm-hmm. have to be really realistic about how many people in your city are there and how many people really want it. And if you're going to allow a provisionary center, do you have the traffic to support that? Or is it going to be one that's you know, going to be closed in a week or because they can't get product or anything? Exactly. You really have to put a lot of thought into it. Exactly. Yes. There is a lot that goes into what will make those those licensed facilities successful oh, yeah. in the small towns, the big areas. And, yeah, I agree. The tax revenue thing all around, even at the state level, I don't think it's always going to be what they think. Yeah, And if that's your main motivation for doing it, it I think it's bullshit. It's like, that's kind of bullshit. It, <laughs> sh- <laughs> it should be a little more about, like, creating safe access to medicine. It should be a lot more about addressing, like, the racial inequities of prohibition. I agree. I, I think that's the first question when I talk to people who are wanting to get in this industry is always, well, what's your real motivation? Is right. it a capitalistic one or do you actually care about the industry and you care about the health as- aspect of it and the benefits from that? If it's a little bit of both, cool. Here's option one, two, and three. If it's capitalist, here's option one, two, and three. You know, There are different mm-hmm. approaches to everything, mm-hmm. um, but you got to be really upfront because if you don't then it's just going to be really difficult to adjust accordingly down the road. Yeah, that's fair. I think that's fair. So obviously you've been in the industry for a while. You worked at a processor. You kind of got up one up and running. So I think you're someone who probably cares about quality and like um, good products. And you just said you care about like the medicinal uh, cannabis and creating safe access. And so you joined DM Lift for a reason, I have to believe. And so, and I'm assuming that has to do with the safety of the products and that you believe in. Yeah, no, I, I think that quality should be something no matter what you're doing. You know, whether you're growing, you're making be. tomato soup or whatever it, it is. It should be, but it's not always. Should, for some people, it's not a motivation yeah, for some people but, always. But people need to understand why it's not. I mean, that's the biggest thing. It's easy to push blame on to issues to a particular type of person or a particular group or say it's the black market or anything. That's an easy excuse. But until you fully understand how it's happening, why it's happening, you can't really solve the problem. You can only kind of whine about the problem. Okay. You know, and I don't think there's enough people that actually understand it. The education in this industry is very lackluster. Even though there's a million things out there like weed maps and leafly and articles and blogs and all this stuff that's great but when it comes to the average consumer who's going to buy marijuana from a provisionary center or from a caregiver 
the education piece is very lackluster. Very lackluster. When you start talking about vaping, for example, talk about distillate. Oh, I love this flavor of distillate. I love that flavor of distillate. That's a misconception. Distillate is unflavored. You're adding terpenes to give it a taste or effect profile. Just by definition, you're distilling it down to get just THC. I would guarantee you that if you ask 100 people what is distillate, they're not going to be able to know that difference. Right. You know, um, it doesn't matter what plant you're processing. If it has THC, it's all the same. You're adding those flavor spectrums in after the fact. Uh, so that's like a very mis big misconception that people need to understand. Mm -hmm. And there's not a lot of education about that stuff. Mm -hmm. I think there is a lot of potential misconceptions right now, specifically oh, yeah. around vaping too, which is why I've been interested to have this conversation with you because there's a lot happening in the news. And it's not yeah. very clear, right? If it's, yeah. is it nicotine? Is it THC? Is it, is it what they're putting in the nicotine and THC? Is it the coils? There's, it, it, it's very yes. hard to cut through the noise. Yes is the answer to all your questions. Okay. Is it nicotine and THC products? Yes. Is it the stuff they're putting in? Yes. Is there issues with heavy metals and the vape cartridges and stuff like that? The answer can be yes. It depends on where you're getting your product, who's doing the processing, who's manufacturing the cartridge, all these things. But all those are factors. So from a cartridge standpoint, heavy metals get into your oil through a cartridge if the cartridge is not created properly. When you're buying a cartridge from overseas and it's 80 cents a cartridge, Okay, they're just popping those things out. Well, when you're making a ceramic cell cartridge, like a C cell, okay, there's a process to make that. You take a whole bunch of ceramic dust and you pop it into a mold and you pressure, pressurize it together and you put it through an oven and it maintains that shape. You're pretty much creating a block, right? If you do not do that at the proper temperature, you're not burning off all the excess that's there. So that will leach and or be vaporized in your oil. You know, understanding that is really important. Um, but no one understands that, that you always just want to buy the cheapest cartridge because, you know, I, they're 80 cents, I can get them all day. All right, mm -hmm. well, yeah, you can, but here are some issues you're going to have with that. Uh -huh. Same with oil. Okay. You have people who make oil and they want to spread it out as much as they can to be as profitable as they can. So they add things to it. It starts off innocent. It always starts off innocent, right? I'm making a cartridge. It's all distillate oil with my flavor terpenes or whatever. It's testing at 80%. Selling it for $20 for a gram. Wholesale. Great. Well, someone else comes along and I'm selling the same exact thing, but I'm doing it for $18. Well, now you have to be competitive to be able to maintain a customer base. So they start thinning the oil out a little bit more, but they want to keep the potency up. So now they start looking at other ways to do that by adding thickeners and things of that nature. And that's when real trouble starts. It's only really started happening over the past eight months or so. Um, 
that people started getting sick, and it's because of the thickening agents mostly. Uh, Is this and it's a shame. You, okay. Is this when you hear about the vitamin E? Vitamin E acetate. Okay. It's one of, yes. Okay. Yeah. So when you say thickening agent, can you say more? Like, so thickening agents are used. Um, it actually they originated for use in the cosmetic industry. So vitamin E acetate is a thickening agent. Started with the cosmetic industry. It's used as a topical only. There are health issues that can be caused from using it as a topical. It can, in some cases, cause cancer. It's part of, if you read the FDA warnings, the Surgeon General warnings, they will actually tell you all this. But for the most part, just like anything, they have to tell you that. People then say, oh, well, it's vitamin E. It's plant-based. That's cool. I can put it in my vape pen. And it started with nicotine vapes because they're so thin, the viscosity of them, you needed to thicken it up a little bit when you put it on your coil, especially the big mod type of vape pods people use for that stuff. So they had a thickening agent. Okay. And vitamin E acetate in it. Vitamin E acetate has horrible effects on your lungs because it's not meant to be ingested. It's not meant to be digested, vaporized. Oh, wow. It's meant as a topical. Wow. Yes. Okay. So that is what has been happening. They started out with nicotine stuff and then well, if it works for this, I can work it for that. And then I started over in the THC stuff. And because THC technically is illegal federally, it kind of got thrown in as the forefront. In reality, it's more of just a vaping thing in general. Okay. Okay. That's one thing I was interested in is where it, like, breaks down. If it's primarily nicotine products. It started primarily that way, but it's really started to branch off into the THC world okay. after that. Okay. Um, but it's not the only thing that's used as a thickening agent. There's a few other products out there. Um, I just read an article yesterday, actually. Um, if you go to California, there's a few areas like Skid Row where you can actually go and buy full-on counterfeit brands of products, right? Wow. Like vape cartridges to fill with your own oil, packages of brands that are licensed or non-licensed, available there. Dank Vape is one of the main ones you see in all the articles right now, or Brass Knuckles, um, yeah. things like that. You can, so you can buy their packaging. Buy everything you need to have that brand, then offer that as one of the brands you carry. They also offer some thickening agents. There's a few out there that are much, much, much more dangerous than vitamin E acetate. Um, and only a few people will have the goal to carry them and sell them because of that, because they know it's such a bad drawback, but they're out there. What's more interesting isn't the vaping issue that's currently there. The same oil that people put in their vape pens that have the thickening agents and everything, mm -hmm. people also use that oil for their edibles. You just haven't heard of anything hitting the news yet, but when you ingest vitamin E acetate, it can have horrible effects to your digestive tract. It can cause cancer, polypsis, all this other stuff. Yeah, no one's talking about that yet because it hasn't really come to light yet. It's usually diagnosed as something else. So it's going to be interesting to see how things evolve. Seriously. Yeah. Because it's going to take our government understanding this to be able to regulate for government it. Government doesn't care. So then why, why would Governor Whitmer do the vape ban? It's a quick, easy fix. It's like... Uh, Is it, though? Yeah. When you look at, look at it from a management perspective, okay, you have somebody who's always late to work 
Easy fixes, fixes just write them up, right? Mm-hmm. Two days later, they're late to work again. So you write them up again. Two mm-hmm. days later, you write them up again. Until you ultimately fire them. Right. Well, why are they late? What is the root cause that's causing the issue? Exactly. If you never address the root cause, then you're always going to have the problem. Exactly. And the band is just like, well, throw some Robitussin on it, you know, cover up the symptoms. They have a cold. You're not addressing the cold, you're just addressing the symptoms. Same thing with the band. So That's why I, th- I think ultimately it makes it, it's going to make it worse. It is making it worse to have a band like that. without Like, that's exactly it. If you don't know the root cause... And you don't, where are you supposed to focus your efforts? What are you trying to fix? What are you trying the to regulate? The government doesn't care. Regulate? Why do you, why do you say more? <clears throat> um, why do you say that? That's so disappointing. They, they care from a health perspective for people, right? They don't want people to get sick. They don't want inferior products out there that can hurt people. Mm-hmm. They care from that aspect. But when you look at the overall cause the over hypothetically if the overall cause is black market oil okay being contaminated by individuals using heavy metals and or thickening agents if that is the cause there are steps that can be taken to stop that mm-hmm. yeah none of those steps have been addressed or been talked about or even thought of in the public's eye exactly or to the public to address those things so that's why i would say they really aren't taking it as seriously or care as much now i can tell you if you talk to certain congress people and you say hey i know where these products are coming from they're gonna say oh cool send me an email <laughs> really send you an email what, what's that gonna do right so they don't take it seriously. If you were to call the DEA, for example, and you were to say, hey, I know where these products are coming from. The DEA in your local state is going to say, where are you located? And you're going to say, I'm located in Michigan, for example. And they're going to say, okay, well, I need you to contact the police department in your local area. And until they actually create you know, some paperwork for us, we can't even talk to you. Mm-hmm. So, okay. If that is the stance that they're taking, how are you ever really going to solve the problem if it is, in fact, black market stuff with individuals doing this, Mm -hmm. right? So it's really just a big throw some paint on it, you know, call it good. Lipstick on a pig. Hey, man, sometimes you just got to wash the pig. (laughs) Like, it looks better, right? We're doing good work here. Put a bone in its hair and send it out. I think you fixed anything. Absolutely. So... It's a very tricky situation. So how do you think this will impact the legal market with the safety compliance lab specifically and, like, those products having testing standards? Do you think – are they going to be able to test for these thickening agents and things like that? Are they already – You can already? test for anything. You can test for anything. So is that – do you know if that's – I don't know, but if that's something like the Michigan labs are currently doing? They've changed some of their protocols for what they test. So – Labs are constantly upgrading their equipment and constantly fine-tuning things to get more and more accurate on everything. Yeah. That's good and bad. Yeah, and the government also seems to change. Absolutely. It, the, what they the, want them to look at. Yeah, oh, no, absolutely. They're, they're constantly changing what 
you know, where they need to be looking. But so they're constantly upgrading everything to be able to find more and more things. And obviously it costs more and more to get trained professionals to be able to do that or the equipment needs to be different than what they're currently using and things like that. That will affect the cost of all the mm-hmm. testing. That will affect the cost to the consumer, so mm-hmm. on and so forth. Um, that's fair. They are doing some of that, but that's also all very political. Yeah, I think I've seen some of the labs like advertise that they'll take in the black market product like voluntarily to test as a way to help the issue. I... Here's the problem I have with that. Mm-hmm. You'll read any article and it will tell you we tested 15 different samples of vape pens out there. And of those 15, 13 tested for vitamin E acetate, one tested for heavy metals, and one came by fine. Awesome. Well, what brands are they, and where'd you get them? Mm-hmm. It's never stated in the article. It never tells you, we got these from our local drug dealer, or we got these from a caregiver, or we got these from a provisioning center. Because if you're following the protocol from seed to sale tracking, and you're you're a good consumer and you're a good user and you only go to a licensed provisionary center with your medical card or in your recreational state, they have seed to sale tracking. If that person who wrote that article bought a cartridge from that licensed place and it came back with bad results, well, it's pretty easy for someone to be able to say, well, it came from here. Okay, well, either one or two things is happening. The brand who manufactures it is selling contaminated product, or the provisionary center is bringing outside stuff in and selling it through their store and they're hiding it through their seed of seal tracking. There's one or two options in that case. So I guess my question would be is for consumers or patients who enjoy vaping, um, what can they do to stay safe? Is going to a licensed provisioning center enough? Everyone should purchase products from the people they trust. Mm-hmm. And I would suggest if, if my son came up to me and said, Dad, I want to start vaping, where should I go? I'm going to tell him the same advice I would tell everyone else. You know what? Ask around, look at reviews, ask a ton of questions. Go into a provisionary center that's licensed and ask them a million questions. If the person you're dealing with, the bud tender or the manager, can't answer your questions, or you think that they're kind of pulling it out of their ass, go to a different one. Mm -hmm. Or caregiver. If you know the person, you know how they're treating their plant, and you know how the process is and how and you know about it as you're supposed to in the caregiver-to-patient relationship, mm-hmm. that's how it's set up, then you can trust that you are getting a stellar product. Just because you're a caregiver doesn't mean your product's inferior to the big guys on the hill. I would argue the point the opposite. I think the big guy on the hill is going to be cutting a hell of a lot more corners than a caregiver in some ways if they're following the basics of what they do and they're passionate about it. But you need to ask questions. People don't ask nearly enough questions. What kind of questions should they be asking? Well, I'd be asking, okay, um, when did you get this batch? Um, can you show me the test results and the licensing ID number on this patch? So you can actually look at the box and say, oh, yeah, this is, 
you know, okay, this company, this is their license number, this is the batch that was tested, these are their test results, and there's a barcode that you can scan to prove that it's real, all that kind of stuff. I'd be asking all those things. I'd be asking, you know, is this displit or is this CO2? Which one's better and why? Um, I'd be asking every single question I could think of before I purchase something until I know reasonably to myself that this is exactly what I want and it's safe. I mean, I think that's fair. Are there any questions that you could ask about the... The cartridges? Yeah, the cartridges themselves or the technology that would it's help... It's a little bit different from a consumer standpoint because I can guarantee you can walk into a provisioning center and they're not going to be able to tell you much about the cartridge. They'll be able to tell you probably more about the product. Right. But if you can reach out to the person who's making the product, I'd be asking a lot of questions. Where are you getting your cart? What kind of seals are they using? What kind of cell is it? If it's ceramic cell, what are they popping their oven at to make sure there is no heavy metals? This is a heavy metal tested cartridge. You, have you seen their certification and prove that? Um, are they following the Better Business Bureau's OSHA standards and everything else? Have you seen their certifications for that before you started purchasing this product? Those are all basic stuff, right? You buy a car, you know that if you're buying a Ford, the certifications that come with it, you can see it on their wall, all this mm -hmm. kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. It's no different than anything else. You should be asking questions and you should be looking at stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's a good point. Sometimes we don't do that. Sometimes consumers can be, I mean, we can be lazy as consumers. I want it. I got it. I enjoy it. It's not laziness as an attention span. Yes, that too, right? We're, we're you know, the we're distracted, I guess. Um, well, I don't, I shouldn't say that. I just, I get it. There is maybe a lack of, like, desire to go and dig and do the research. and. Which is interesting to me because the majority of the people coming on to the industry are actually the baby boomers, which are an older generation of people. They care more about what's going on. They're looking for alternatives to what their prescriptions are and so on and so forth. So I would think there would be the exact people asking these questions. Yeah, yeah. But I also think baby boomers trust institutions a lot. And we're, I don't know, I feel like. So, so it's like, well, if it's legal and it's sold in the store, it's okay type of thinking. It depends on but where you go. That may be fair. I, I'm over here just being a stereotyped and asshole right now, so I probably should stop. No, no. I, uh, I think it depends where you go. I mean, there are certain cities that you can go to and buy product, and that might be the way it is, and there are other cities that are probably a little bit more educated. Like for Ann Arbor, for example, I would think that people are, because of the basic education level of people that's associated with Ann Arbor, the income level, the careers, and things of that nature, just the overall dynamic of that geographical location um, they're more inclined to ask questions in some mm -hmm. cases than somebody in a smaller town or somewhere way north that the income level is different or the education level is different stuff like that mm -hmm. they might be more inclined just to believe what they're being told very I think it varies fair point. that's a very fair point uh gotta be politically correct <laughs> the pc culture we live in <sighs> So with all the vape ban, the vape bans that are happening across states and just the news cycle, how is it, has it affected DM Lift? And if so, how? It has a little in the effect of certain states or cities have completely put a ban on all vaping. Um, so customers in those areas are like, oh, can't do an order yet because that I got to see how this is going to pan out. And some of those bans are six months which is ridiculous. Okay. 
Um, so you feel bad for yourself because, well, now you can't hit that market, but you also feel really bad for those people because it's like, well, you're out of work for about six months unless you diversify your product line, right? Like we talked about earlier, you need to think about things, um, plan ahead accordingly. Um, so, you know, there is that, um, a few states have already overturned their ban in the court system. Uh, knew that was going to happen right away. Michigan is one of those, right? Yes, the judge put an injunction on the ban? And yes. To say. So I would, anyone who listens that has a license and they're in a banned state, I would be looking at what the law states on the ban to a fine tooth comb of details. And I'd also be looking at what your license states when you went through the application process. Mm. So for Michigan, for example, it's a pretty detailed application process to get a license. Mm -hmm. And in doing so, on the second part of that, you actually have to do a full-on business plan with your financial breakdowns, your brand, your products, your geographical location, everything, right? It's a pain in the butt. But if your business plan stated that you are a vaping company, primarily, first and foremost, and these are the products you're going to have, and they issued you a license approving that, and now they're telling you you're out of business, you have legal recourse because you've already paid $6,000 for your application fee, $66,000 for your licensing fee. You've been approved after multiple revisions, and now they're saying you're out of business. There's some legal recourse for that, depending on what the terminology is. That's what I would say. That's some good knowledge. I'd also say in places that are banned, if you read the fine print, a lot of times it says synthetic terpenes or additives, meaning you can have cannabis-derived terpenes if you're doing CO2, or if you're doing terpenes from a manufacturer that gets them directly from cannabis. They're insanely expensive compared to regular terpenes, but you'd be able to use those and still be in business. Arguably, you'd have better health benefits from it than a synthetic version as well. But that also gives you the ability to keep going forward. So there are ways, but you'd really have to look at it. You have to read the stuff. Yes. You're very knowledgeable, sir. No, ma'am. Very knowledgeable. I just sit and twiddle my thumbs and read articles all day. Well, you're something's happening up there. You're retaining it all, piecing it all together. Nah. Putting it together for I just the ask people. the questions I think everyone should be asking. I just ask them aloud, that's all. <laughs> Why well, like that? Um, so maybe just turning away from vaping a little bit and just kind of to the Michigan market here. What do you think the future of legal cannabis holds in Michigan in the next five years and then maybe 10 years? I think you're going to see more diverse products out there than what currently are. I think you're going to start seeing a lot more liquid bases, um, drinks and fun stuff like that because uh, people are getting excited and trying new things. Uh, I think the biggest impact is going to be the micro businesses. That's going to be awesome and huge. Uh, anybody that wants to get on board with that, give me a call. Um, just because you're integrated and you can do it on a craft level and yes. craft beer and stuff like that has had great results in our state, so I think it'll be similar with this industry. Me too. I'm very excited about that license type. Yeah, it's really dope. Mm-hmm. I think it gives, yeah, yeah, it's going to keep cannabis away from being like the Bud Light and Coors Light type of brands and 
Not that there will be that, right? But the craft is still going to have a space, and I'm glad that Michigan is. You're going to be able to go into a place like that and find things you're not going to be able to find anywhere else mm-hmm. when it comes to different types of crystals and sauces that are kind of harder to find. Live resin stuff is going to be more abundant in those locations. Um, it's going to be more of an experience, and that's what's really going to be ex- exciting mm-hmm. about it. Because mm-hmm. is it easier to get to like quality and like variety when you're producing on a smaller scale like that, like the micro-business? licenses if you plan accordingly um but just like anything you really have to have a really great plan from day one to day two of how you're going to use your materials you know if something goes wrong what are your backup plans and things like that if you if you plan everything out right you can be very successful and have great quality stuff and you can have very diverse stuff um so I think it is easier in a smaller scale than a larger scale mm-hmm. because when you start doing larger scale, you just kind of focus more on getting it in, getting it out type yeah, of like stuff. Yeah, like volume. Basically. Yeah, quality goes down usually a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Arguably. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think I'm even been hearing kind of some some of that too. With some of the some of the bigger grows, the quality isn't necessarily there for some of the people who are either you know who are patients. Going I'm a flower guy. I mean, I don't care what it tests at. I don't care what it is. I just like the process of rolling and smoking. So for me, I'm happy no matter what. No, I, I agree with that, actually. I appreciate flower even a little more now. Now that, like, there's legal and there's different products yeah. available, it makes me I agree with that. Um, so how do you see recreational cannabis impacting Michigan? Because we're well, that's, that's coming. It's coming next year. Um I think you're going to get those products being diversified. Um, I think you're going to see a spike, you know, people using. Uh, but it's really going to affect the prices. So prices are going to go way up, and they're going to go way down, and they're going to way back up again. And they're going to jump around for a while just because now that more people are wanting to consume, we're already having a shortage of products mm-hmm. as it is. So obviously it's going to be harder to find mm-hmm. and or prices are going to go up because of that. Um, so that's going to be a big thing. I think you're probably going to see that for about, I don't know, two or three years uh-huh. consistently. But is that typical to other legal markets when recreational comes online? It seems like there's price jumps up and down. A bit. And it just yeah. takes a little bit for the market to kind of figure out. Yeah. And the supply chain to be, like, fully optimized, right? There's not, like you're saying, there's not. Well, yeah, and when you think about it. Product in it at first. It takes time to mature. If you're a big mature. grow or you're a couple big grows and all of a sudden you have a bad crop, and it tests bad, and you have to get rid of it. Well, if that was like say a hundred pounds, now you're getting rid of it. Now there's a hundred pound shortage overall somewhere. Right. To, to all of your customers you distributed to, right. it's a shortage. It's kind of like oil. Very similar. <laughs> yeah. So it affects the price, and, that, and that's very common. A million like, things can go wrong in a grow. What's coming? Yeah. Yeah. It's that's, pain. Yeah. I, it's 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 interesting though. I think. Um, so on that note, what excites you most? about Michigan cannabis market? The energy, uh, the people that are really committed to it, I, I think is really interesting. I, I'm a fan of the politics, both big and small, both caregiver and, you know, recreational users. They all have different viewpoints and <laughs> pros and cons and all this stuff. I, I love hearing about all that stuff because I think some of it's really interesting and some of it has good basis and some of it's just kind of crazy talk but you know it's all fun to hear you know so 
I, I'm really excited about seeing that blow up more and then seeing those really craft things start to appear. Mm-hmm. And what excites you the least? What excites me the least? Yeah. Ah, just the lack of knowledge. I know there's going to be more people coming on board, not understanding things, especially from the investor standpoints. Um, big money's awesome to have come into the industry to really help things grow and get better. But the misunderstanding or the lack of knowledge from some of those people wanting to get involved is is trembling how upsetting it can be sometimes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Not understanding the cost of things, not understanding the process of things, not understanding the health issues that can be involved or diversifying of products and want to be very narrow focused. And those things are never fun to Mm -hmm. talk about and deal with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it kind of goes back to that motivation piece. If you're, like, predominantly motivated by money, then you're going to come in with a very specific kind of perspective or orientation to to the business. Oh, yeah. And I yeah, I, I don't know how sustainable it will be over the long term. I think there will be, like, a lot of consolidation of the big names. And then I'm hoping there's still, like, a pretty significant craft space. I would love, like, a 60 craft, 40. Well, there's already a very large consolidation of things that's gone on that no one knows about. Oh, I yes. I, Big yeah. companies coming in and buying things. I'm picking up on that. The thing is, though, I thought the regs were written, at least in Michigan, in a way that would really not allow for that. Mm-mm. I know. That's what I think is interesting. Like, even in the last year, just watching the evolution of the industry, it is, you know, multi-state operators billions yeah. of dollars even and, out of international investors and you lose a lot of the quality and they'll say well we let them run it you know however they want to run it and you know we're just kind of there to help and all this kind of stuff to give the backing but at the end of the day it does water down a lot of the product and a lot of the experience and a lot of things well yeah because everything for those people is a balance sheet so it's like how do mm-hmm. i reduce expenses and increase sales and that i think but from a business standpoint it makes great sense it does it, it does except for it's so one-dimensional like there's a piece of it too that's like how do you treat your people that i think is incredibly important and then with cannabis is how are you treating the plant i'm more interested in seeing how cbd is going to impact the marketplace than thc because really Oh, yeah. CBD over the past year and a half has really blown up. Exploded. Whereas THC kind of just struggled and worked their way to where they currently are. But CBD just kind of came in and blew up. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of great companies uh, here in Michigan that are working with CBD. I think a lot of them are cosmetic-based, which I think is a little shameful. You know, I mean, there's so much more you can do with it than just that. Um, that, that'd be more like the capitalist people. Like, you know, Kim Kardashian's coming out with a CBD line, <laughs> right, um, exactly. which is crazy. But there's so many things there that can really blow up. Um, so I'm really interested in that, especially from the medical applications. I think that would be kind of dope. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. I think CBD, though, is going to have this the, a similar, like, quality issue where the source is going to matter so much in the process that was used. Like, it's going, that is going to matter so much to how effective it is, to whether or not there's going to be... Um, like health consequences or health issues on the other end of it. And that's a thing that people don't ask a lot of questions oh, yeah. about. Like well, a I, lot of people think CBD is snake oil. I hear that every day. That or it's like that, well, it's snake oil. Yeah, it's snake oil. You know, it doesn't have really any benefit, none of this stuff. And, and every right. day I have to tell them, like, well, it has no psychological effect. You're not, so you're not going to get like high off, T, like you would a THC. 
It's completely different. It's like internal. It's anti-inflammatory. It yes. helps you in you know, ways you don't really realize, but it's great stuff. I'm constantly having that conversation. Um, so that's an education piece. But uh, to see where it's going to go is going to be pretty interesting. I have some ideas of where it might head, especially if it passes through, like, you know, FDA type stuff and medical testing stuff. Do you so. care to share? Not while we're recording. Okay. <laughs> I'll share with you after. All right, all right. I'll take you up on that. Yeah. Um, so it'll be interesting. All right. I'm excited to hear your thoughts. You got lots of thoughts. No, no. Yeah, yeah. No. Yes. Um, so where can people find DM Lift? Either online or in re- like in stores? So DM Lift uh, online, obviously, www.dmlifting.com. Our Instagram, Facebook, same basic thing. Um, stores, you know, we work with some wholesalers and stuff like that. Uh, but for the most part, call us, contact us direct, and we'll just take care of any of your needs and stuff like that or answer any questions. I do a lot of answers to questions, and I love them, so keep them coming. <laughs> Keeps my day going. I like it. And what can people expect from DM Lift in the future? Well... We're coming up with some new ways of vaping, uh, different dosing and controllability of dosing. Uh, we have a few carts now that allow you to control how big of a hit you get when you take a puff. Also, in how you can actually enhance the flavor that you already put into the oil by how we heat it and things of that nature. So you get more of a heat distribution and can more controllability. Uh, we're going to be doing a lot more of that. Now we're working on biodegradable stuff so we're more eco-friendly, which is kind of dope. Um, you know, just fun stuff. You guys are great. Yeah, we're okay. Thank you for taking time to sit down and talk. Absolutely. Is there anything we did not hit on today that you... No, man, I'm just... Get out there? I'm just here to answer any questions you guys got about what's going on with vaping stuff, vaping ban, good, bad, the other, whatever you guys have, I'm here to answer. That's it. DM Lift. Go find you guys. Thank you. Welcome. I'm grateful to Chad and DM Lyft for sitting down to talk about the vaping crisis. I think this was a very informative conversation. The takeaway for me was that while many states say they're regulating to increase safety and that intention is likely true, regulation does not equal safety. And we've seen this with many other commodities. We've seen it with produce, with vehicles with cat and dog food. And so really it's on us as consumers and patients to be thoughtful about where we purchase things, how they're sourced, and to do digging when we can. And I know we're all really busy and so it's very hard. I think it's important to, like Chad said, ask questions. And if something doesn't seem right to you or seems off, then go with your gut. Um, I'm all for cannabis legalization, as you all probably know. Um, But I'm certainly thinking differently about some of my own internal bullet points under why I support cannabis legalization. One of those was because it increases safety and quality. And I'm now, after reflecting on the conversation with Chad, realizing that regardless of whether or not something is legal or illegal, regulated or not, that there can still be safety and quality issues really due to the types of decisions that folks make as business owners. Well, with all that said, I hope you are having a great day and thanks for listening. Okay, bye.